1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John writes, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. If there's any reason for which you and I should be joyful and happy, it is the good news promised to God's children. As you and I approach the Word, and we've been studying from the book of Galatians, we've talked about how this wonderful book has reminded those people of the good news and the seriousness of not giving up on it. And then I chided myself in saying, you're here to preach the good news and you're letting this world and its sorrow deprive you of the joy that talks about the good news. This morning we're going to study Galatians chapter 4. The title is From a Slave to a Son. For just a few minutes, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, to chapter 15. I want to read verses 2 through 5. I want to introduce to you the idea of thinking about a slave who may even be at some point considered like a son. Do you remember that God had made a promise to Abraham that through his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed? We talked about that last week in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. And when you think about this wonderful passage here, you think about Abraham trusting God and the promises that he made, but he didn't know how God was going to work it all out. In verse 2 we read, But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. There's a slave in his house. His name is Eliezer. When Abraham was in Damascus is when this one was born to his house. Eliezer was a slave that Abraham said is going to have to inherit everything that I have. But I want you to understand Eliezer was worthy and deserving of Abraham's appreciation. Later on, after Isaac has been born, the one to whom the promise was made, God chose, or Abraham chose Eliezer to go find him a wife. And we read in chapter 24, verse 2, So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had. Now think about that for just a moment. Here's Eliezer. He is his oldest servant, the one who's been with him the longest. He's the one now that Abraham has given him charge over everything that he has. He's going to send him to find a wife for Isaac. You think about that man. He was just a servant. He was not a son. Because when 
Isaac was born, Eliezer was no longer under consideration as receiving Abraham's inheritance. I want you to understand there's a great difference in being a slave and being a son. When the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote that book, he was trying to persuade the people that Jesus was better than the angels, Jesus was better than Moses, Jesus was better than Joshua, and that the new covenant was better than the old covenant. And in chapter 1, in verses 5 through 7, he said, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. None of the angels, though they were the sons of God, though they were created by God, None of them were the Son of God. In fact, in verse 7, he says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers, his servants, a flame of fire. And then verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits or serving spirits sent forth to serve those who will inherit salvation? The difference is, is that The angels are simply merely servants, but Jesus is the Son, the Son of God. With that in mind, let's go to chapter 4. And there's three things that I want us to learn as we go through this first half of this chapter. The first half, he's going to talk about some structured schooling. You see, they did... Education a little bit differently in biblical times than we do today. and But there was still a structured schooling. Number two, we want to talk about slaves versus sons as it is pictured here in Galatians chapter 4. And then talk about sons of maturity. Those who are growing to the point where they understand their blessings and they understand their obligations. If you look back with me, chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, we'd studied that last week as we talked about that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. That means a schoolmaster. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith that would be afterward revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. You see, in our generation today, if we think of a schoolmaster, we think of the guy who actually runs the school or a principal. If we think of a tutor, we think of someone who is deficient in a particular area who's helping us get through that particular part of our education. That's not really what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about a slave whose job it was to train the master's son. You see what that's going to do? That's going to lead us to chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And here's what Paul writes. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is Master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage 
under the elements of the world. Under guardians and stewards. You know, just like Eliezer was for Abraham, he was over all that he has. There would be a slave who was given the task of training the master's son. From the time he was just almost an infant, this slave's job would be to teach him how to talk, to teach him how to work, to teach him how to do things, to educate him. And it says, until the time appointed by the father. There was a time in which the father says, okay, by this age, I want him to know this, I want him to know that, I want him to know this other thing over here. And when that time arrives, that young man should be able to do whatever I want him to do. Among the Jews, there's a name for this. It's called a bar mitzvah. The word bar means son of mitzvah. He's a son of the law. At about 13 years of age, a time appointed by the father, this young boy would take all of his toys and turn them in in exchange for tools. He's no longer going to be considered a child. He's going to now be considered a young man. And now he's going to begin to grow and to mature. You see, there was a time appointed by the father to educate, to train young children. God had a time set aside for the training of His people in preparation for the coming of sons. Listen to Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, God had a plan all the way back from the very beginning of time for the educating of His people. Let me show you that in another passage. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said to me, who am less than the least of all saints, was this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now listen carefully. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was a time which God had not yet revealed what he was going to do. But Paul says now is the time that was planned by God. Not every time does God reveal what his plans are. When you get to the first part of the book of Acts after Jesus has risen from the dead... The disciples are gathered with him and they're wanting to know what's going to happen. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Just like the Father has designated, here's what I want my son to know, here is when I want him to know it, and here is when he will reach maturity In Acts 1 and verse 7, Jesus is saying, 
it's not for you to know everything that God has planned. Just like Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and the things which are revealed are belong to us and our children forever. God lets us know what he wants us to know. Well, the time has arrived. When you go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus began by saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to understand God has had a plan and its plan has just about reached fruition. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. This is the time which God has been pointing to. The time has arrived. Now I want to go back to verses 1 and 2, and I want to pull out another idea, if you'll notice with me. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. As long as he's a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the master of all. Minor sons were actually under their slaves. That means that the steward, the slave, the guardian who was training him, was telling him what he needed to do in order for him to be an effective guardian, an effective trainer, that child would have to listen to the slave. And it says he doesn't differ at all. He's got to be directed, given orders, directions by someone above him. And yet, he is master of all. One day, he's going to possess it all. But during that period of time of training, he's no different than a slave. That's an important point. Then when you get to verses 6 and 7, he says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, or the spirit of his son, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Now I want you to imagine that you are Eliezer in Abraham's house. And I want you to imagine Abraham comes to Eliezer and says, Eliezer, I love you like you're one of my children. You have been so loyal. You have been so dedicated to me. I want you to be a part of my family. You no longer now are a slave. You are a son. Once a son, you have the right to use a term of endearment. Abba, Father. That's a close title, a term of endearment. If you look at verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. During my lifetime, I've known a lot of children who have been adopted. And during that period of time, it's easy for children who have been adopted to feel like maybe my parents didn't want me. 
But I can tell you one thing. Your adoptive parents chose you. They wanted you. They love you. God loves the world. John 3 verse 16. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. When you read Romans 8 verses 14 through 17, you begin to appreciate what it means to say that God has adopted us into His family. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, or with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Do you realize what He is saying when He's saying you are now an heir, and you're a joint heir with Christ? That brings me to the third aspect of this passage, and that is sons of maturity. You see, the truth is, when you're a child... You are just like this little bitty baby and you've got a a guardian, you've got a schoolmaster training you. There's a point in which the Jewish people actually matured to the point they could actually be called sons. Those who were Gentiles were actually adopted into the family. Listen as he speaks now in verses 8 through 11. But then indeed... When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now you've been known by God, or rather, or you know God, and rather been known by God. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be into bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. There was a time of ignorance and innocence. You know, you see some of these little two and three year old children running around, and sometimes we tend to think, they ought to know better than that. They don't know better. They haven't been taught yet. They haven't learned yet. There's a time of this innocence, a time of ignorance. Of course, mamas and daddies come along and apply the Board of Education to the seat of understanding and they learn a little bit, learn what things you do and you don't do. But there was that period of lacking of understanding I want you to listen to Paul as he speaks in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What Paul is describing is what we all observe naturally. That there's a time when you have little children... 
They're going to play. They're going to have no cares in this world. But there comes a time in which you quit your playing. There comes a time in which you shoulder the responsibilities that says, I now have to provide for my family and myself. When you recognize there's a time for me to grow up and to mature, do you know that also applies spiritually? There's a time when a person who has just become a Christian, there's a lot they don't know. You don't jump down their throat because they don't know it. They haven't had time to learn it yet. But there comes a time in which you ought to have matured spiritually that you ought to be able to do things differently. I think about the Hebrew writer in chapter 5 and verse 11. He says, of whom I have many things to say to you. You can't receive them because he said you become dull of hearing. Verse 12, for when by reason of time you ought to be teachers, you have a need again that someone teach you the rudiments of the first principles of the oracles of God. He said, you really should have grown up, but you haven't grown yet. Paul's point here, there's a time to grow and to mature. Why would any adopted son ever want to go back and be a slave? Why would you want to go back, having reached the point of maturity where you're able to make your own decisions, to go back and be a child again? That doesn't make sense. The Galatians are doing that. I want you to listen to verses 8 and 9 again and realize he's speaking to Gentiles here. He says, When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. You once fell down and worshipped an idol. They're not gods. They're just made out of stone and some sort of wood or maybe some sort of precious metal. They're not real. He asks, why or how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desired again to be in bondage? Why do you want to go back and do that again? If you recognize that there is one true God in heaven, why do you want to go back and bow down to an idol Find yourself in bondage to that again. To the Jews, verse 10, he says, you observe days, months, season, and years. What he's talking about is all of those Jewish festivals, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, the Sabbath day. All of these Old Testament regulations, he says, why do you want to go back to them? Do you know what they're tied to? The animal sacrifices. Those sacrifices can't bring salvation. The good news is that Jesus Christ brought forgiveness of sins. Why would you want to go back to that? Verse 11 represents Paul's frustration. He asks or states, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. 
I'm going to tell you, there's sometimes that I have done things only to realize that it didn't work, had to start all over again. You feel like you've wasted your time, your effort. Paul came to Antioch, to Iconium, to Lystra and Derbe. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. There were people like in Acts 13 verses 44 through 46 who wanted to hear it so much they said, come back next Saturday, tell us more about this. Now they're wanting to go back. Paul feels like, did I waste my time among you people? Was it all in vain? Then Paul gets to the point that he's trying to get them to think, who really cares for you? Now before we read verses 16 through 18, I know that growing up as a teenager, sometimes you look at your mother and your daddy and you think, their whole purpose in life is to keep me from having any fun whatsoever. They don't want me to be happy. They don't want me to enjoy the things of this life. No, they were trying to help you reach maturity. And sometimes, mothers and fathers have to be stern. And they tell you the truth because they want you to do the right thing. Some of your friends who could care less how your life turns out will tell you, oh, it doesn't matter. You do this, you do that. Listen to Paul in verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it's good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Paul would say to them, when I told you the truth, showed you the right way, am I your enemy? When someone has to bring to your attention, you're going the wrong way. Is that being mean or harsh or evil toward you? No. But he says, they zealously court you, but not for a good reason. They want you to be zealous for them. They're just trying to capture you to be on their side. Paul said, it's not about me. If you want to be zealous in a good thing, that's fine. Do it anytime, whether I'm there or not. But he said, don't let these people trick you. Now let me bring all this to a practical application. I want to speak for just a minute or two to the young people of the audience. There's a valuable principle taught here, and that is that everyone becomes accountable at some point in their life. 
That is, we learn the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And once we do, the innocence is no longer there. The ignorance is no longer there. I now have to make a choice. You know, I'm here at a point and I, I now have a choice. Young people... When you reach that age where you are accountable, the choices you make are now your own. And the choices you make, you will give an account for. What are you going to do? I don't say this to be your enemy. I say this as your friend. Some of you need to make a decision, a right decision to become a child of God. You don't have to do it in the service, but you need to make a decision because you're accountable before God and your soul is at stake. Some of us refuse to grow up. We're still in pursuit of childish things and childish actions. We act as if everything's so provided for us that we have no obligations. There's a lot of religious people teaching today that the grace of God allows you to do anything you want to do. That's not what Scripture says. In fact, Titus chapter 3 or 2 verse 11 says that the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In other words, no longer speaking to the young people now, speaking to those of us who are Christians and have been Christians for a while. Am I still living like a child? Or am I growing and am I maturing? Am I studying? Am I praying? Am I serving? Or am I sitting? What's God expect out of us? There are great benefits, there are great blessings to being a child of God. But if you're a child in God's family... God expects you to grow. And then when the blessings arrive, they're greater than man could ever conceive. If you get your songbook, we're going to sing the invitation song. If you need to become a Christian, we encourage you as the Lord invites you. Because you believe that He's the Son of God, to repent of those sins that you've committed, confess your faith in Him, and then be baptized. If you are a child of God and you look at your life and you say, I know one thing for certain, I'm not living right now, we can pray with you. Would you come while together we stand and sing?